We are traveling through the book of 1 Kings. We're in chapter 4. Solomon is all set up. He has cleaned up some things that were left over. He's established. Look at verse 1 here. So, so King Solomon was king over all of Israel. And and I want you to like step into their shoes. You know, they've been bounced back and forth. You know, Palestinian or not Palestinians. Uh, different people have tried to rule over them and have been successful. And then they've, they've been defeated. And then they had the 450 years of judges. And then Saul comes on the scene, and that was a disaster. Then David comes on the scene, and they did all these wars, and so they've been doing nothing but fighting machines, being very successful for the most part. And then along comes Solomon, and the land is going to have a land of peace. And if you parallel it with our day-to-day, let's face it, all of most of us my age and younger we never had to, never had to go to the draft, so we have no concept. All we know is peace. People older than us, and like my dad's age, and and between the older people and my dad, <laughs> they understand sacrifice and suffering. You had to. It was just part of life. But for the most part. No, no, we don't have a clue. Okay, so that's that's where we are here. Is But they've come out of a time of battle and sacrifice, and, and now they're going into a time of prosperity. And if you want to figure out what it looks like, just look at our country. Because when you come out of war and then you cruise for prosperity sake, not prosperity teaching, but just good times, you're going to see what happens here. So certainly... As Solomon becomes king over all of Israel, it had to have been a great time. And like every good politician needs, well, he needs to pick his cabinet members. He can never do everything by himself, and that's what he does here in verse 2. And these were his officials. So at least the priest was first. Somewhere over time, he won't be. He moves out. His cabinet consisted of, and I'm not going to pronounce the names and show you how great my Hebrew language skill is. You can do that your own, uh, on your own. Just follow along. I'll give you titles. The priest, scribes, recorder, commander of the army, some more priests, commander over the officers, a priest and a king's friend. So you better be moving way down there. Uh, one over the household, one over the labor force, 12 governors, one for each month to provide the food for the palace or the modern-day tax man. I mean, that's, that's what the governor is going to do. He's going to be the modern-day tax man that's going to take from the common person to provide food for the king's palace. But please notice, it's only one month out of 12. That wouldn't be bad, right? You give everything you have in one month and you get to keep the other 11. Wouldn't be bad. Trust me, 11 twelfths is better than, you know, 60%. Okay, so that, you know, that's, so it's not bad. These, these, verse 8, these are their names of his taxmen, Ben-Hur. Oh, you pronounce that so well. Why, thank you. In the mountains of Ephraim. Ben meaning son, so he's the son of Hur. And again, you can read all these other governors tonight, because I don't want, I want you to practice your own Hebrew language skills as well. But I want you to recognize 
in your heart here as we work this down that God keeps his word. Whatever it is. God's promises to you and me are yes and amen. God promised Solomon. Remember when, when God first appeared to Solomon? And Solomon gave an answer where he put others before himself. He didn't ask for riches or long life or death to his enemies. He asked for others. Hey, God, I want an understanding heart so I can govern your people. And because he started this way and had a view for others rather than himself, God promised him riches and honor. And I want you to see that God is a God of his word whether it be in the Old Testament or in the New Testament. Look at verse 20. Judah and Israel were as numerous as the sand by the sea in multitude. In other words, there's a lot of them. Eating and drinking and rejoicing. Because it's a time of peace. They've come out of the battle scene. So Solomon reigned over all the kingdoms. Now, if you look in the map on your back, or if you've been there, it's real easy. So Solomon reigned over all the kingdoms from the river to the land of the Philistines, as far as the border of Egypt. So Mediterranean, all the way over to the Jordan, all the way down to Egypt. Man, that's way down below, below the Dead Sea. So all of it sounds pretty good so far, doesn't it? Now Solomon's provision for one day, okay, one day, was 30 cores of fine flour, 60 cores of meal, 10 fattened oxen, 20 oxen from the pastures, and 100 sheep besides, well, the catch of the day. Deer, gazelles, roebucks, that's not seers, and fatted fowl. That's just for one day. So no doubt Solomon had a large staff or a large harem. And if you look at what in Haley's Bible handbook describes as what a core is, he is taking in 7,200 gallons of flowers per day which would make 28,000 pounds of bread per day. 130 raised animals and an assorted of wild ones. You know, the fresh catch of the day, whatever that was, times every day, which amounts to over, and this is conservative because I've been here, 21,000 pounds of meat per day. That's a lot of meat. Now, I don't want this to be some prosperity message, but my Jesus has always provided for us ever since I gave my life to him. Yes. Even in the beginning when all I ate was potatoes because I was in credit card debt and, and I was so convicted when I got saved and I felt like God said, I want to use you, but you're in debt. That's all I ate. He still provided. Every once in a while, I got a package of hot dogs for quarters and if you cook them hard enough, they kind of look like sausage. <laughs> Cut them all up, you know. But not everything... No, because I never would eat it that way. I'd cut it up and cut a little squares and dice it. Not everything we wanted all the time, but he has never left our ha family hanging out there. Even when I then went on to church staff and they said, oh, you're going to have to work outside to pay your bills. I never had to. And so there's a great difference between what we want and what we think we need. And he's done the same for you. Look at, look at his... Look at his provisions here for one day as you think about your own provisions for one day because the reason I know God has done that for you is because you're still here. You know, you're not on a soup line. You're not living on the streets. I mean, what do you need today from the Lord? Not want, that's different. 
What do you need? Jesus said, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. All of these other things will be added unto you. In other words, live it my way and watch me work. Be like Solomon and humble yourself and you can ask anything in his name, being a disciple, believing God as a little child and do it. But you got to come on his terms, not yours. Verse 24, if we had dominion over all the region on the, this side of the river from Tipshaw even to Gaza, namely over all the kings on this side of the river, if you look on your map, Gaza's up north, namely over all the kings on this side of the river, and he had peace on every side all around him, so he had peace on both sides of the river, that would be the Jordan River. And Judah and Israel dwelt safely, each man under his vine and his fig tree, from Dan, extreme north, as far as Bathsheba, all the way south, all the days of Solomon. And so that it had to have been a great time in the land of Israel. David brought the people back into the land through many battles and wars. And now the people are really reaping the fruit of King David's labors by enjoying peace throughout the land. Notice what it says here. Each man under his own fig tree living in peace. That doesn't happen in war. You don't plant anything, you don't grow anything, you don't because someone's going to come and steal it. But here they are, every man living in safety and peace under his own tree and drinking from his own vine, much like it is here in America. I mean, you and I need to realize that many have died that you and I can live in peace like we do today. Okay, if you don't recognize that, then you are pretty selfish. you got to realize it. Others have went and died for us, so we can live this way. But something happens when a country is at peace that does not happen when a country is at war. During war times, like I said, there is sacrifice and there is some form of suffering. But during peacetime, there's a potential to get lazy. We need to guard against that, every single one of us. There's a, there's a potential to, and I'm not sacrificing that, and I'm not giving that, and I'm just going to, I'm not suffering at all because, man, I'm an American and I'm a Christian. So I'm just going to live it up a little. Well, that's what happens in Israel. They live it up a little and they start to wander. But it's we need to be also be careful here. So God's blessing of Solomon continues in verse 26. Solomon had 40,000 stalls of horses. Someone should say, uh-oh, for his chariots and 12,000 horsemen. So not only accumulating women, but also chariots, both of which he was told not to amass as God's king. And so here he is, accumulating women, accumulating horses. His military strength is now going to lie in the hands of horses rather than in God. And these governors, each man in his month, remember the 12 governors, the tax people, provided not only food for King Solomon and for all who came to King Solomon's table, there was no lack in their supply. They also brought barley and straw to the proper place. So I guess if you're a vegan, you could go down to the mangers and eat. For the horses and steeds, each man according to his charge. In other words, everyone gave their part to his work. Please take notice of that. They also brought barley and straw to the proper place for the horses and steeds, each man according to his charge. In other words, everyone gave their part to this work. No one got a pass like those in the church might think they do today. You know, it's sad. 10% of the people do, do and give 90% of everything. That means 
That means 90% of people are coasting on the coattails of 10%. Now, that's why I never want to know who does, who gives what financially. I don't. I just never want to know. But here it says that each man according to his charge. In the New Testament, it says, give as each one has prospered during the week. And that's all part of, of living for Christ. We can't, we can't escape those things. And so, and it says, and God gave Solomon wisdom and exceedingly great understanding. Too bad he did not use it all his days. And largeness of heart, like the sand on the seashore, that Solomon's wisdom excelled the wisdom of all the men of the East and all the men in all the wisdom of Egypt. Now, we all know where that wisdom came from, from God's house, just like in James. Solomon asked and the Lord delivered just like he will for you and me. If we approach as a child and ask, believing for wisdom, he'll, he'll show us and tell us exactly what to do. For Solomon White was wiser than all men, of course, because of God, than Ethan, the Esarite, and Heman, Chalakol, and Darda, the sons of Mahol, and his fame was in all the surrounding nations. So Solomon was wiser and smarter than everybody around them. Why? Because he said, I need wisdom. I'm a little child. I need, to, I need to be able to govern this great people of yours, remember? And then God said, I'm going to give you understanding which was uh, the ability to hear from God. And his fame was in all the surrounding region, nations. He spoke 3,000 proverbs, and his songs were 1,005. I have a proverb. An excuse maker will never change, for he always has an excuse for what he did. That's my only proverb. Solomon had a 1,000. In the book of Proverbs, we have about 952 Proverbs. About a third of what Solomon uh, wrote is recorded. The problem is he didn't write them all in the book of Proverbs. So still we have a little under a third. One of the ones that Solomon wrote is there's nothing new under the sun. And they're not. We're seeing that in clothing trends today. Old things are just reinvented and repackaged, throw a few extra holes in them. Man, you got a clothing trend. No, we wore that stuff, but we were embarrassed about it back then. Hey, patch my holes, Mom. Man, I don't want to look like I'm some poor kid. Crazy. Also, he spoke of trees from the cedar tree of Lebanon even to the hyssop that springs out of the wall. He spoke also of animals, of birds, of creeping things, and of fish. So he is a professor of botany and zoology without studying because the Lord has given him the increase. I can guarantee you he did not speak about evolution here. 100% positive. And men of all nations from all the kings of the earth who heard of his wisdom. And again, we need to change that because we know where his wisdom came from. And men of all nations from all the kings of the earth who heard of his wisdom came to hear, and this is critical, that Solomon always pointed it back, hear the wisdom of God as spoken through Solomon. And I'm sure in the beginning Solomon said, yeah, it's God's wisdom. But I'd be willing to bet you over time he no longer said that. Because he starts changing the rules. If you read ahead and just read his life, 
He starts here on fire. He, he's going to have two appearances from God. But then something happens. Chapter 5. Now hear him, the king of Tyre, sent his servants to Solomon because he had heard that they had anointed him king in the place of his father. For Hiram had always loved David. I love this. This is evangelism. This is some form of discipleship. See, David knew which nations to befriend and which ones to eliminate. This is really a gift that the father is leaving the son. So we get a good picture at David's lasting legacy, now lived out through his son, a compliment of what his dad had left him. And it's not golden treasures, it's, it's a relationship. Ever thought about what lessons of life you're leaving behind for your kids in spiritual relationship? Well, I'm leaving them the house. Okay, they can squander that. But what about spiritual things? What matters of importance are you leaving behind? Because if I never think about it now, I can guarantee you when you get when you die, it's going to be a little too late to think about it. Now, Solomon eventually eventually messes up this relationship a little, but it is tight when his father left it for him. Then Solomon sent to hear him saying, You know how my father David could not build a house for the name of the Lord his God because of the wars which were fought against him on every side until the Lord put his foes under the soles of his feet. You know that? Hiram, you know that? You know that about how my dad? You know, what does that teach us? What does that teach us here? That teaches me something about what David and Hiram's relationship. Hey, you know how you know how my father David couldn't build this? How could Hiram ever know that unless David told him about it? So he, he he's engaged in this Gentile king in spiritual matter. Interesting. See, this teaches us that David was salt and light to this Gentile king. And I would hope we all would treat all people as believers. Like right now, you make a covenant. From now on, you're going to treat every person of a, as a believer. That way, you will never judge the wrong ones. Ever. You'll never judge the wrong ones. See, the church is supposed to judge those in the church. But it's backwards today. We always judge those in the world. And the world says, I don't want to come be a part of that because you just judge people. But if we are to treat everybody as Christians and love them and let God take care of the rest, those that come in, yeah, we can deal with that. See these words here? You know how my father David could not? How did he know? David told him. Seems that David spoke to him, a non-believer, like he did to the priest. we got to be the same way. It will keep you from judging the lost in the world, whether that be politics. I see it from people on a church. I, I mean, I'm almost have to like, I immune myself. Actually, I just, you'll never know because I just block you for 30 days because I don't want to see all that stuff. Oh, someone in our church judging politicians. Oh my gosh, get the log out of your own eyes here. So who made you the judge? Hey, we're about, we're about, do you ever see, does anyone ever see Paul judging Nero? No, he would have got beheaded. But see, in our freedom and in our peace, we can be, and let's face it, we are reaping the fruit 
of what the church hasn't been doing. I was in a conversation last week, and this guy was trying to tell me it's the government's fault, it's the politicians' fault, blah, blah. I said, how do you expect non-believers to ever get anything right? That's ridiculous. Well, that's the guy said, there are, how many are non-believers? Why do we expect the non-believer to see the sunset when they're blind? I don't understand that, church. I don't understand that. They can't, just like you couldn't. You couldn't. You couldn't see it. And if you treat them as a believer, or you just treat people the same way, you just love them, it's going to keep you from judging the lost, whether they be in politics or people different from you, or lost people. critical. I can deal with lots of things, but I can't deal with that because it destroys our witness. Oh, those people at Calvary Chapel, they're judgmental. Pete, your friends will never say that, but as they look at that stuff and you invite them to church, I ain't never going to that church. They're all judgmental over there. It's like we're just killing ourselves. So please, now I'm trusting it's none of you, but when people in our church are engaging in that, we call them out to call them on it. Say, are we supposed to love people? Well, yeah, but, oh, so you disagree. When they say that word, but, after you say we're supposed to love people, then you should look them in the eye and say, say yeah, see, you, 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 you get it passed. You don't have to love people. I didn't say that. Yeah, you did. You said, but. I just said, we need to love people. You said, yeah, but. That means, yeah, we love people, but let me tell you who I don't have to love. Man crazy. But now the Lord my God has given me rest on every side. There is neither adversary nor evil occurrence. And behold, I propose to build a house for the name of the Lord my God. That's important. That's worded that way. Not for my God, like the pagans would. Remember, the, they had all these shrines and temples, and they would build it for the temple of Dagon or the temple of Bacchus. They were named after their gods. But this is named this is to build a house for the name, not for. It's not build a house for God. No, it's build a house for the name of. Big difference. Not for my God like the pagans would, where their pagan gods would dwell, but for his name. Solomon is careful to differentiate between name and actual living place, that God is not going to live in this place. And behold, I propose to build a house for the name of the Lord my God, as the Lord spoke to my father David, saying, your son, whom I will set on your throne in your place, he shall build the house for my name. Now, therefore, command that they cut down cedars for me from Lebanon, and my servants will be with your servants, and I will pay you wages for your servants according to what you say. Okay, what's, what's, what, what's the observations right here? There's really one. What, what is it? One great observation and one great interpretation. What's the activity? Yeah, working what? Working together. Okay, who? Jews and Gentiles, right? So, so great picture of Jews and Gentiles working together to build what? Solomon's temple. And I'll pay you wages for your servants according to whatever you say, for you know there is none among us who has skill to cut timber like the Sidonians. So here's the deal, Hiram. Your Gentile boys are the best woodcutters in town. I need some wood, and I'm willing to use Gentile wood in my temple. 
and I'll pay you whatever you ask. Those are my terms. So it was. I love this. Verse 7. So it was when Hiram heard the words of Solomon that he rejoiced greatly. Don't tell me David never talked to him about his God. Ever. He did. I mean, why would he say something like this? I, I think Hiram is thinking about this new king that has just come into power. Because you never know what the new king's going to be like. Maybe he'll try and force us out or cause us to be slave labor. I mean, certainly Hiram was a king over a nation of Gentiles. And this is a great picture of Jews and Gentiles working together, building the temple. It's always been God's heart that way. So when Hiram heard the words of Solomon, he rejoiced greatly and said, Blessed be the Lord this day. I love it. For he has given David a wise son over this great people. This, it is important in our secular relationships that we treat people like Christians and speak to them like Christians, whether they speak to you back, because it may take many years before they talk back to you. Just like what we prayed for before we started. Many years. Since December of 1983, that's how many years before they speak back to you. It's critical. So when Hiram heard the words of Solomon, he rejoiced greatly and said, Blessed be the Lord this day. It's awesome. It's one of the few beautiful Jewish-Gentile partnerships. And I, I wonder if he became a believer like David did. I wonder if he became Jewish. No doubt his words here are the reflection of the time that David spent with his friend Hiram. David made sure that there was a spiritual conversation in the relationship, not just secular conversation in the relationship. There was spiritual conversation going on. Then Hiram sent to Solomon saying, I've considered the message which you sent me, and I will do all you desire concerning the cedar and cypress logs. My servants shall bring them down from Lebanon to the sea. I'll float them in rasp by seed of the place you indicate to me and will have them broken apart there. Then you can take them away and you shall fulfill my desire by giving food for my household. So a little old time bartering going on here. Trees for food. Verse 10, then Hiram gave Solomon cedar and cypress logs according to all his desire. And Solomon gave Hiram 20,000 cores of wheat as food for his household and 20 cores of pressed oil that Solomon gave it to Hiram year by year. Okay, according to Haley, a core is 90 gallons. Of course, other people, you read it, it's less or more. So that's roughly 1,800,000 gallons of wheat <coughs> and the same of olive oil each year, if you're interested. 1,800,000 gallons. Now, I guess if I was in the semi-truck business. We could have figured out how much volume it is and all of that. So maybe that's something Jeff can do for us, you know. <laughs> yeah, on one of your jobs, you go, hey, if I had 1,800,000 gallons of something, how many semis would it take to put it in? Good. I bet you it's a simple mathematical equation for those guys. Verse 12. So the Lord gave Solomon wisdom as he had promised him. And there was peace between Hiram and Solomon and the two kings of them made a treaty together. Then King Solomon raised up a labor force out of all of Israel. And the labor force was 30,000 men. That would never happen during wartime. And he sent them to Lebanon, 10,000 a month in shifts. They were there one month in Lebanon and two months at home, kind of like the 
oil rig workers in the Gulf. They're not gone for years at a time. They're there for a time, then come back and back and forth. Adoram was in charge of the labor force as Solomon appoints him. Solomon had 70,000 who carried burdens and 80,000 who quarried stone in the mountains. I believe these are non-Jews. These are slaves and servants that were taken from the spoils of war, from battles. He sends a labor force up here the, to Lebanon. I, don't, I think those were Jews, even though I have no real proof of that. But these here, this labor force, I can guarantee you those are slaves. And he sent those besides the 3,300 from the chief of Solomon's deputies who supervised the people who labored in the work. And no doubt, those who come over, those Jewish ones who come over and labor, no doubt, they're getting paid for that so they can feed their family. So Jew overseeing the work of the Gentile servants and the slaves that belong to the Jews. So we see here administration is... Definitely a gift from God. And Solomon in his wisdom is, is really pushing it out and, and, and raising people up and allowing people to use that which God has given them. And the king commanded them to quarry large stones, costly stones, and hewn stones to lay what? The foundation. How much of the foundation do you see if you go to your house today? Give me a two-word answer. It starts with not. Not much. Thank you, Christina. Not much. So so Solomon here is going to put large, costly, hewn stones. And these aren't your basic stones you'd go down to your home improvement store and pick up with your big F-150 or big F-351 ton. No, these are, these are, and they're not the retaining wall. When you go to Israel and they show you those big retaining wall stones, that, that's not the temple. Please understand that. That's a retaining wall. Yeah, they're massive, like 600 tons or some crazy thing. I didn't look. But they're not, they're, they, the, the Western Wall is a retaining wall. Okay, we all clear on that? It's a retaining wall. It's as close as the Jews are ever going to get because up on the Temple Mount is where the Temple was. Okay, the, so the Temple Mount's here, whoosh, Western Wall, here's where people get. And then you can get up on the Temple Mount on certain days. But this is a foundation wall. That's all that is. Okay, just so we're all clear on that. You know, it doesn't sound very exciting. Really, we're, we're going to go pray to the foundation wall? Well, it's as close as you're going to get to the temple. Large, costly stones here to lay the foundation, which I think to you and me is everything we do for the Lord, both those things that are seen by others and the unseen, should always be the best we can be and the best that we can do. I mean, let's face it, it's game time, and if Jesus was to come back tonight, there is no one who has ever walked through the doors of Calvary Chapel the Williams one time or a thousand times that's ever going to be able to say, you know, I didn't know, Lord. I didn't know you. we should be ready. I, I didn't know you were coming back. I didn't know I should be investing into your kingdom. I didn't know that. Well, we all know. Nobody can say that once they walk through the doors. So Solomon's builders, Hiram's builders, verse 18, and the Gibelites quarried them. And again, these guys are probably spoils from war, from summer. No one really knows where the Gibelites are from or Gibelites or the Gerbilites. Or... And they prepared timber and stones to build the temple. You ever, anybody have Lincoln Logs growing up? Okay, well, that, that, this is a big Lincoln Log set here. 
Everything is being prefabricated and prepared off-site. No metal tool was to be heard at the temple site. And so it's all being pre-assembled somewhere, pre-fitted. There's an interesting story that comes out of Psalm chapter 118 in that when the temple, this temple was built, the stones were all prefabricated someplace else, and they were sent up, and this one got sent up too early, and they said, look, what, what, is, what is this stone for? Well, that's the top stone. We don't need the top stone. Get rid of that thing. So they pushed it off to the side, and you know it says it take, took seven years to build this, and so years later, when they got ready to set the capstone, you know, they go to the quarry and say, hey, look, you guys forgot one. And they go, nope, look right here. It's in our records. We sent it to you. And so they go up there and they check, and there it is. Weeds have grown up all around it. And it's the cornerstone, the capstone that the builders rejected. It's pushed off. Now, is that true? I don't know. Every time this passage is taught or passages like this are taught, people usually tell the story. Um... I have no idea if it's true, but the story sounds good. <laughs> and we know who the cornerstone is that was rejected. It was Jesus. Chapter 6. A lot of reading for you tonight in this chapter. And it came to pass in the 400... Okay, so if you're into timeline things, and we should be a little bit, you're going to get one right here, a clue. And it came to pass in the 480th year after the children of Israel had come out of the land of Egypt. If you go back to Exodus... And you look at the day when they come out. That was the start of their calendar as far as when they left. Okay? So from the day they left, they've been out 480 years. That's what it says. We, we've been out 480. Because it says on the first day of the first month of the first year. You know, that doesn't mean the start of the general calendar. That was the start of their calendar, their beginning. Okay? So 480 years Right here marks our calendar. We get a little clue of what's happening here. Moses was about 1400 B.C. Now, you look and it's like, well, that's what Haley puts him at, 1400 B.C. So was that when he was born? Was that when he died? Was that in the middle? Well, Moses was about 1400 B.C. And the exodus happened about 1360 B.C., according to Mr. Haley. Um, so somewhere in the middle of that, somewhere around that time frame, fast forward 480 years from 1360 or, or to 1400, somewhere between that, fast forward, here we are in Solomon's reign. Most would place David around 1000 BC. David lived 70 years. So... Here's Solomon's reign here. It also shows us that Israel has been in the land 480 years. And they've been there without a permanent temple. Okay? kind of. I think it's kind of important to understand that. They didn't need a building. They haven't lost their identity. They still have their portable temple. They lost it once to the Philistines. They got it back. The portable tabernacle covered in skins has worked well ever since for the last 400 plus years. 480 years since Israel came out of the land of Egypt. You go back and look at Exodus, you're going to see it. That, from that day one, boom, here it is. In the fourth year of Solomon's reign over Israel in the month of Ziv, which is the second month, that he began 
to build the house of the Lord with that giant Lincoln log set. I mean, think about how long it took them to amass the timbers. You know, they, they couldn't go to the hardware, the lumber store. They had to float, the, cut the logs, carry them to the, to the water, float them down, carry them up, and then they had to cut them. And then they had to get them all sanded. And, and, and look, they're doing all of this by hand. Man, I'd love to see a video of that stuff. It'd be awesome. And then, and then, then they have the stone. You know, they got to be out there with chisels and and hammers and crude instruments. And no doubt, it took some time to get it all cut down for use. Now, the house which King Solomon built for the Lord, its length was sixty cubits, its width twenty, and its height thirty cubits. Cubits eighteen inches. So the temple was 90 feet long, 30 feet wide, and 45 feet tall. And around this structure were other structures and corridors where the common people would gather and worship God. When we go to Second Chronicles, we'll see that this temple was built on Mount Moriah, where Solomon sacrifices at the start of his king, kingship, where Ava offered Isaac, and where Jesus was crucified. Coincidental? No way. All in the same place. All in the same mountain. The vestibule, vestibule, verse 3, in front of the sanctuary of the house was 20 cubits long across the width of the house, and the width of the vestibule extended 10 cubits from the front of the house, and he made for the house windows with beveled frames. Got all that? Just pictures of it all online. If you want to look at it, you dial them up. However, it seems like Solomon is putting windows into his tabernacle. It doesn't appear to be in the most holy place or the holiest of holies, but it is in the holy place. God's design had no windows. So is he planning on the glory of God departing so he won't be able to see? Or I don't know. It's interesting. Was it so that the incense smoke and the lamp smoke could escape out of his building and not tarnish it? I don't know. But it has windows. We're assuming that they're operable. doesn't say they are, but we're... It has windows. God's never did. The shape of Solomon's temple, which is really David's temple, because David has amassed all the stuff. David drew the drawings. David, when you go read in the Kings and the Chronicles, you're going to find out that David did all of this. Solomon just had to make a couple contracts and hire some people to do it. So it's really David's temple. You know, the one that the Lord designed for Moses, and this is one that David designed. They're roughly the same. It's just that Solomon's is bigger. Verse 5, against the wall of the temple, he built chambers all around against the walls of the temple, all around the sanctuary and the inner sanctuary. Thus he made side chambers all around it. The lowest chamber was five cubits wide. The middle was six cubits wide, and the third was seven cubits wide for he made narrow ledges around the outside of the temple so that the support beams would not be fastened into the walls of the temple. Y'all still with me? <laughs> yeah, someone can can someone draw that? Yeah, I didn't think so. And the temple when it was being built was built with stone finished at the quarry so that no hammer or chisel or any iron tool was heard in the temple while it was being built. Can you imagine if something got cut wrong? And you figure it out when it's on the top of the wall? So do they push it off, demolish it, or do they just lower it down the same way they get it up and they have to haul it all the way back, shave that one inch off it, 
No, they never did that, man, because these guys were master craftsmen. But there was no hammer or chisel or any iron tool was heard in the temple while it was being built. Just a lot of grunting and groaning. At least I think so. The doorway for the middle story was on the right side of the temple. They went up by stairs to the middle story and from the middle to the third. And remember, the tabernacle didn't have any of this stuff. Okay, they had the, the big outer courtyard, then they had the bigger tent, and then they had the Holy of Holies inside that. So he built the temple and finished it and paneled the temple with beams and boards of cedar, and he built side chambers against the entire temple, each five cubits high. They were attached to the temple with cedar beams. So in the midst of the blueprints, the contractors, the superintendents, and all the hassles of building a large building, God shows up. Why is that? Why would God show up in the midst of the building project? Maybe it's, I'm concerned about you and not your building project, Solomon. We don't really know. So he built the temple and finished it, and he paneled the temple with beams and boards of cedar, and he built side chambers against the entire temple, each five cubits high. They are attached to the temple with cedar beams. Then the word of the Lord came to Solomon. So the, 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 in the midst of this whole thing being built, the word of the Lord came to Solomon saying, concerning this temple which you are building, if, see, if might be Solomon, you're starting to slip maybe somehow, but we don't get any details other than by this if, other than by this reminder, if you walk with me, I'm going to bless you. If you don't walk with me, you're in trouble. So this word of the Lord comes to Solomon. If you walk in my statutes, execute my judgments, keep all of my commandments and walk in them, then I will perform my word with you, which I spoke to your father David. And I'll dwell among the children of Israel. I'm not going to be inside your building. Please take notice of that. And I will dwell among the children of Israel and will not forsake my people Israel. In other words, what you're doing here is a good thing, but you and all the nation must continue to walk with me so I don't forsake my people. And God's still that way today. You may know the busiest Christian on the planet that's doing all this stuff and feeding all this stuff and visiting the poor, but if that person is not walking in God's statutes, executing God's judgment, keeping all of his commandments and walking in them, and yes, it's all by grace, then that person's deceived. You can't just be busy doing stuff and not be living God's not concerned with what you do for him if your heart and life's actions don't match his words and his statutes. Saul was a good example of that. Well, here's how God looks at Saul's stuff. Remember, Saul said he was doing it all and had some outward stuff going on, but Saul was just disobedient to God's word. Remember what God said to him? He spoke to him through Samuel, said, Has the Lord his great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices? as in obeying the voice of the Lord. Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice, and to heed than the fat of rams. For rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft, and stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry, because you have rejected the word of the Lord. He also has rejected you from being king. And that's really what God's telling Solomon. Look, look, you have to still walk with me in building this temple, or I'm going to forsake the people. The temple you're building, make sure you put as much emphasis on your private walk as you are on those external works. That's for all of us today. It's for all of us. 
Make sure we put as much emphasis on those things that other people don't see as we do on the things that people do see. So Solomon built the temple and finished it with expensive woods, intricate carvings, costly stones, and gold. Nothing but the best for the Lord God. And you can read all about his materials tonight on your own. Verse 37. In the fourth year, the foundation of the house of the Lord was laid in the month of Ziv. And in the eleventh year, in the month of Bull, which is the eighth month, the house was finished in all its details, according to all its plans. So he was seven years in building the temple. And someone read the very next sentence. That's cause, probably because it was bigger and stuff, but that's another Bible study. <laughs> Remember, there's no chapter breaks here. I mean, no doubt this temple was a spectacular sight. And sadly, over time, the people will serve the temple of God rather than the God of the temple. See, they go from serving the God of the temple to the temple of God, and when God would send his prophets... They would stone him, run him out of town, and kill him because, look, we're serving the temple of God, man. Get out of here, you negative preacher. And that's what happened. And that's what happened to them. That's what can happen to us. We can go from serving the God of, of, of salvation to serving the salvation of God. So we have to be on guard about that in our own life, team. That's why our relationship with Jesus Christ must continually be fresh and ongoing. It can't become stale. It can't be, well, I did it last Sunday, or I did it last Wednesday. No, it has to be current in all of our lives. Jesus says, agonize to get through the narrow gate, for many will try, but few will get in. I don't even know what that means. But I know this, there's days I don't agonize. So we need to put some energy into it. Seven years in the making with thousands and thousands of workers, no power tools that we know of, no overhead cranes that were at least powered mechanically or electrically or motorized, no nail guns, but all of it done by hand. Tim the tool man would have never survived this building project. <laughs> never would have done it. When you're over in Israel, you can look at the intricate detail in the columns of the things they've dug up. And for, for me, just because it's kind of my background, I marvel at the stone carvings, and I wonder what it must have been like. Because it was all by hand. Maybe it's kind of like this. Well, how much did you get done today, dear? I chipped one line 10 feet long in that big granite pillar over there, baby. So I, I was doing good. I mean, I mean, like, it's not like they, like, got a whole wall done in a day, you know. One wrong whack in the wrong spot, and... Can't super glue it, yeah, right? And and yet when you look at this stuff, I mean, it doesn't matter. This temple, all of it, you know, such detail, such precision. Yet God is not going to be all at all impressed with this building that Solomon is building as Solomon fails to keep the statutes and commandments of God. He's not. And God's going to show up. So he got a word today. God's going to show up in a dream in another time. And then God's going to say, look, I showed up to you in a dream twice, and you're still doing this? Let me encourage us all. Relationship must be intact, and relationship must have works attached to it. But works alone, is no, without a relationship, is no relationship. 
But we should have works attached to our relationship. James says so without doing so, it's death. But we should never trust our works without our relationship. Relationship first, that's salvation. Works are always attached to that if that salvation is real. But works alone with no relationship, stay tuned. That's going to become Solomon's downfall. He's going to have some religious works going down, but the relationship with God goes south. God's not God is stoked when his people follow his words and doing so. We will be living stones, being built up, a spiritual house, a holy priesthood, to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. And the relationship with our Jesus is critical as we offer up those spiritual sacrifices to our Jesus. So just consider that in our dealings this week. Relationships, sitting at Jesus' feet, and then out of sitting at Jesus' feet, getting up and serving like Martha did without complaining. Yeah, Martha complained the first time, but after he had, she had an encounter with Jesus, we find her with her sister and brother at the feet of Jesus, and she is happily serving. You need them both. You need the relationship, and you need the serving. It's critical. Father, we're thankful for all that you want to do in our lives. And I, I ask God that your word would find some good soil in our hearts. Lord, it would move past the thorns the rocky places, and it would find that good soil in our hearts. 